listening to the Testudo Times Podcast, the official podcast of SB Nation's Maryland Terrapins Colossus. Welcome to episode of the Times Podcast, where we're going to start off by not talking about things that happened over the weekend. Instead, continuing our running joke of, I forget about field hockey, so let's start the show by talking about it. A crazy field hockey game literally just ended two minutes before we recorded the show, Thomas, and you were very eager to talk about it. Yes. So, we were going to record this show, you know, around 8 p.m. Tuesday night. Maryland field hockey ended around 8 p.m. Tuesday night. They... This was on ESPN Plus, by the way, so if any of you like kept that subscription either by choice or by forgetfulness and you stumbled into this one, this was this was an absurd game. Maryland is undefeated, fell down 4-1 at Princeton, who's the number five team in the country, but then scored three goals in the last 20 minutes of regulation to force overtime. They scored with 15 seconds left in regulation after pulling the goalie, and then they won in the second overtime, still undefeated. So I'm going to make an obvious joke here that, Thomas, you hated when I mentioned it before we started recording. Hashtag, it was 4-1. If there are any of you... Mostly because the, the... Yeah. If there are any of you who are listening to this that are a Toronto Maple Leafs fan, I don't care that I'm making fun of your team. You have John Tavares. Keep quiet. What, what do you think is the, like, the intersection of the Venn diagram? Like, what is the population in the middle of that Venn diagram that's Maryland sports and the Maple Leafs? I don't know, and if there are any of you, please send care packages to Testudo Times on Twitter, and we're going to uh, we're going to find you, whoever you. I mean, again, I'm a Maryland and a Jaguars fan, so what the hell does that? You know, you wouldn't expect that. I mean, maybe there are more of them now, but uh, I mean, come on, you can find the intersection of all sorts of nonsense when it comes to this community of crazy people that were like for Maryland sports. Now, that was not the supposed to be intro. The other intro that we were going to do is because Saturday was mostly us talking about food, and since it was the first game at Maryland Stadium, they had new food choices, mostly chicken and waffles. So I have to ask Thomas a very important question. Is Maryland a southern state? Based entirely off the fact that we spent a decent amount of Saturday talking about chicken and waffles, you could make a pretty strong argument. I would still argue no, personally, but... To each their own. I would argue no, too, but I didn't grow up in Maryland. I only went there for four I will years. say that they were very much not like Southern quality chicken and waffles. No, it's, it's, it's a dining hall waffle. It's a dining hall waffle with some dining hall chicken tenders. And some and like a lot of syrup on it. Yeah, but the combination of those things was surprisingly good given us basically going in with no expectations this was something by the way like they announced it on thursday and jared tells me like immediately he wants to do a food review of it and i'm just like i'm all in let's do it and he brings it up to the press box and we get to share the experience it was fun well it's probably the most positive thing that happened on saturday it turns out yes everything was absolutely downhill after that Yes. Uh, Justin Fitzgerald is here, by the way. Hi, Justin. It's good to have you back on the show. Do you think Maryland's a southern state based on the fact that they now sell chicken and waffles at the concession stands? Um, As a Maryland native, I'm going to say no. Maybe it leans it a little more to the southern side with chicken and waffles. But for the most part, Maryland, I do not think, is a southern state. Some may disagree, but in my experience, 
It is not a southern state. I am not a Maryland resident. I am not a Maryland native. I'm just somebody who went to the school for four years. And the correct answer is Maryland is not a southern state. Delaware is apparently a southern state according to the Census Bureau, which is also complete nonsense. So Maryland is also not a southern state. Virginia is also barely a southern state at this point, but that's more southern than Maryland is. I just found the combination of chicken and waffles and Maryland football very interesting, since basically that's the only good thing we have to talk about from Saturday, because it was all downhill after uh, having to figure out why Maryland decided, let's put dining hall waffles and dining hall chicken tenders and dining hall syrup together and sell it for a fortune. And yet we were still reviewing by four by a fortune. It was $10. $10 is still a lot for chicken and waffles. I'm just mm. saying, how does it compare to the chicken tender prices? The tender basket. It's probably the at same. a stadium. It's, it's definitely a better deal than oh, yeah. I expected. I feel oh, like that's around the same. It probably is, but with yeah. the chicken tenders, at least you get fries with it. Yeah. I don't no, know. I think I remember having to get the fries separately back during the one year where I had to like pay for food at games. Isn't that such a journalist thing to say? Back when I used oh, yeah, to have to pay absolutely. for food at games. Yeah, it feels weird. Well, actually, I mean, some of the the smaller sports that don't have full, you know, media showings, like every now and then, I'll, you know, I'll fill in at field hockey, women's lacrosse, whatever, and you know, you still just kind of go to concessions for that, but. Football is a, is a different deal. Basketball I don't usually go down for stuff. Yeah. See, this is women's bas- women's basketball is 50-50. Sometimes you get lucky. I mean, that's the great thing about uh, being in this business. Even though the soul-crushing unemployment is terrible, free food. It's fantastic. Yes. Anyway, you realize we're talking about food a lot because we don't actually want to talk about the sport we were supposed to be covering because after chicken and waffles, it was all downhill from there. To give you an idea of how bad Saturday was, Right as Temple is going to go for a fake punt that turned into a touchdown, I open up a letter, and I have federal jury duty. So Saturday sucked, and it only got worse after that. Uh, Thomas, that was, in my time watching this team, there's only one loss that I could think of that even came close to that in its abysmal terribleness, and getting blown out by Ohio State and Penn State and Michigan doesn't really count because you expect that coming in. The answer is that reminded me a lot of Bowling Green three years ago. But Maryland at least was winning that game at one point. They weren't winning at any point in this game, even though until about the third quarter I thought they were going to legitimately come back. That was soul-crushing is what that was. Yeah, I mean, I don't, I don't really think there is a, a good comparison because of what you said. Like Maryland was winning that Bowling Green game, and Bowling Green turned out to be like a 10-win MAC team, which like Maryland could probably be, but Maryland was a 3-win team so you know maybe it was more of a coin flip but this this like maryland i believe i remember seeing had lost twice as a favorite under well at least in the last two years and that was at penn state one time penn state ended up winning the big 10 weirdest flukiest yes like it looks stupid now that why was maryland a favorite in that it looked stupid in a week (laughs) oh it looked stupid by the third quarter is what it looked stupid by yes and so, so that was one, and UCF last year was the other, and UCF went undefeated. Well, UCF uh, but this, also was losing to Maryland before Kasim Hill got hurt. Yes. And this. I will still maintain until the day that I die that Maryland probably would have won that game if Kasim Hill didn't get hurt. Anyway, continue. This was 25 to 100 times worse than both of those. Maryland was poor in the beginning, was poor in the middle was okay for about 12 seconds and then was poor in the end. They 
the offense didn't score a point, and that hasn't happened since they got shut up by Michigan in 2015. Um, that's really it, – it's – We've written a lot about all this and how bad it was. We don't need to rehash a ton of things. I will say there was a moment. There were about four-plus minutes left, between four and five, I think. Maryland was down two scores, had the ball, and was driving. And I thought, this would be very silly if they did this and just, like, screwed up the gamer. And immediately, Kasim Hill throws a pick six, and the game's over. I'm trying to think of what was the worst thing about it, and... Jeez, maybe we should have been knowing, Thomas, that once Maryland got done in by a fake punt, that it wasn't going to be a good day. But I think it was made worse by the fact that this was Temple's backup. It wasn't even their starter. It was their backup. I would I would put a little bit less stock in that um, because, sure, you can try to plan for a backup, but, you know, we had really no indication at all during the week that their starting quarterback, Mikhail, is not going to play. And, you know, the backup came in and was solid. He hit his throws. There's, you know, not too much you can do. It's not like he added this crazy running component or anything that the other guy would have not had. It's just that he, you know, took what Maryland gave him, and Maryland gave him a little too much. Well, I think Maryland was expecting to get something from the offense, which they didn't. And uh, Justin, yeah, you know, it would be, it wouldn't be unreasonable to expect that. But here we are, uh, Justin. I don't know really where we can start with how bad the offense was. I, I guess we should start with talking about the fact that Maryland looked like the team that they did when they didn't have a quarterback, which was everyone sold out to stop the run, dared the quarterback to beat them when Maryland quarterbacks obviously weren't able to. Uh, that was a theme for many, many years. Now we figured, hey, Maryland has a quarterback. They should be able to deal with this sort of thing. It was a bad flashback in all sorts of awful ways to when Maryland had no quarterback play, but there was injury excuses in this Temple game. But on Saturday, they had no excuses. No, I mean, there really wasn't the only like kind of excuse you can say is that three of Maryland's starters on the offensive line from last year didn't play and Kasim Hill didn't really have time to throw in the second half, but he, I mean the first half, but even when he did, you know, he wasn't hitting guys in stride. Just I think he finished seven of 17 and that interception, he threw it to the linebacker, like didn't even see him. And then you talk about just the run. They couldn't set anything up. The jet sweep wasn't there. I mean, Anthony McFarland had some nice runs, but after kind of seeing, you know, the cavalry that Maryland had in the backfield last week. It just wasn't there and didn't show up. When you can't, you know, run and you can't pass block, you get into where Maryland was where I think they had nine third downs that were 10 yards or longer. When you get it to that point, like what chance do you really have unless you have a gunslinger quarterback, which, I mean, Kasim Hill showed some poise against Texas, but you got to remember, I think this was, this was his fifth college start, like, even though he's been here for two years, he still is coming off an injury and doesn't have the experience yet. So you're going to expect some up and downs, but based on what we saw against Texas, I didn't expect him to be like this in a game with perfect weather conditions. And I would like to point out, I feel like the middle of the September is just the point where Maryland fans, specifically students, just lose any hope you have for a good year from a team. So 
a loss like this kind of fits the trend we've seen since at least my time in Maryland. Well, it was week three last year when Kasim Hill got injured and then yeah. the entirety of the season went down the drain. Normally, it's about this time when it goes bad after two weeks of mild hope. But yeah. uh, since no one has been injured for the season yet, there's still some hope. Not a lot, but yeah. some. Uh, now, Thomas, I want to get to all of the aspects of this. We could start by talking about Damian Prince and Derwin Gray not playing. We could talk about Lorenzo Harrison and Jake Funk not playing. But I want to specifically focus on the quarterback play itself. Kasim Hill was not great, but was solid. He'd get like a 6.5 out of 10 for his performance against Texas. He made some good throws. He didn't make amazing throws. He didn't go out and win Maryland the game. But he did what he had to do. Against Bowling Green, he didn't need to do anything because Maryland was running the ball for seven yards play. But in this game, he just didn't look comfortable at all. And this also goes for Tyrell Pigram, too. The quarterbacks were 8 of 21 for 63 yards with two interceptions. That's Sean Petty bad. You know what I mean? And I really don't know where this Oh, don't disrespect Sean Petty like that. Uh, I will, because it was my first year, numbers? and it will never go. It will never get out of my head how bad that was. And I'm sorry, Sean Petty, if you listen. He's to not. Show. He's not supposed to be good. I mean, what do you expect? But continue I, I know, on. But it, it, it looked. It reminded me of Sean Petty in a way, because eight and twenty-three for sixty-three yards and two picks was a Sean Petty stat line, probably. Uh, why do you think Kasim Hill looked so bad? It wasn't just he had no time. When he did have time to throw the ball, he was missing throws. The ball didn't look clean coming out of his hand. Was it the was it the yips? Because the last time he played on this field, he got hurt. What do you think it was? Why he looked so bad? I I really don't know. That's not the answer you want, but I don't. Well, it's I don't the answer know. Matt it's, Canada had too on Sun, on Saturday. He didn't know why it went so bad. Yeah, I think a lot of it is about you know not having the time and thus just never really being comfortable in the pocket. He didn't look comfortable at all. And I think a, a good portion of that is due to him not having time. He didn't seem to develop a rhythm. You know, being, you know, quarterback and throwing those passes, that is kind of a a thing where you do get into a rhythm. You complete a couple passes, you start to get a better feel for it, you start to get more confidence in your receivers, and he just never got it all game. And I could tell something, I mean, you could tell something was off from his first few passes his i think his first two throws almost got picked yeah that's correct could have could have very easily been picked yeah and i remember the whole game thinking like it's amazing that he hasn't turned it over and then he did and it was a touchdown and the game was over so um i i do think it's it's important to you know just to see how he responds and what he does this weekend because I really think that can set the tone for for the rest of the season, for him in particular. Okay, so let's be fair to him. Technically, he was the starter when Maryland lost to UCF, but I don't really categorize that one as on him. In the other three starts that he's had, he's won. One was Towson, one was Texas, and one was Bowling Green. So two were not against good competition. But that was technically like the first real one like where he played a full game and lost. And so he is still the starter. We saw Tyrell Pigram come in and look no better Partially, of course, that's offensive line. Uh, Thomas, how much do you want to put on that on the injuries? Because Derwin Gray and Damian Prince didn't play. But how much of that was something that I was reading from Josh Stern a little bit earlier today was that Maryland came out completely unprepared and completely underestimated Temple in every single way possible. I mean, that's possible. But even then, 
sometimes you do that, but you can adjust. And Maryland just didn't have the firepower to adjust. I mean, the offensive line that they ran out there was Marcus Minor, Sean Christie, Johnny Jordan, Brendan Moore, Ellis McKenney was starting at right tackle. Um, that is a it's you know it's a group that sounds okay on paper, but they just didn't have a good chemistry. They didn't seem to play very well. But all the uh, the only two other linemen on the participation chart were, I believe, Brian Plummer and Tyron Hunt, and so. And I, I don't even remember seeing either of them extensively on offense. And so Maryland tried to really ride those five, and they just didn't seem to have a good chemistry. And over the course of a game, that led to seven sacks by Temple, a lot more stuffed runs, and just never really getting any forward momentum. Justin, as we now think about the game, there were three positives from that game I will take away. The first positive is that Maryland has good kicking fundamentals, which you need, of course, to be good at the Big Ten, as we've learned from Iowa and Kirk Ferentz. They have a good punter and a good kicker. That's good. The second is that Villanova now has a transitive win over Texas in football, which is an amazing thing to say, and I enjoy that greatly, even in a sort of uh, macabre way. But Actually, see, even at the top of that chain is Towson, who beat Villanova this weekend. So Towson and then has Texas a... beating USC, so Towson is now better than USC. Yeah. Great. I like the extending transitive chart. That's even better. Thank you. That's as far as I've been going with it. Well, that's a beautiful one. Towson over USC, but USC isn't very good. So I like Villanova over Texas or Towson over Texas. That's another funny one too. But Justin, the only other thing that came out good from this weekend was Matt Canada in his press conference basically admitted it was all his fault, which it really, it's not all his fault, but he took all of the blame for it. And I personally like it when a coach does that and says, this one's on me, especially in a game like that where you get completely physically mauled by a middling team in the American Conference. That is a lot of it's on coaching, not as much on the players. And so for Matt Canada, I mean, he beat Texas in his first game. They played really badly in the first half against Bowling Green and then still ended up winning by a billion. And then in this game, they came out and they looked completely unprepared, and he comes out and admits Maryland looked basically unprepared and played poorly. That is a good thing for Matt Canada. The other thing, though, that he did say was he didn't know why. I think it was pretty obvious why. But what, what do we think about Matt Canada after that game as a head coach, now that we have, well, a fourth of the season finished? Um, I think it's funny you say Thane was head coach because any, like, appearance he's had since he's been promoted, he has never come out and said he's the head coach. He's always said... I'm the offensive coordinator, which makes for some interesting press conference because he doesn't seem to be involved or know as much about the defense. But I think, I mean, considering how poorly it could have gone and you don't know how a team will respond when something like this happens, I mean, two and one is kind of what you expected before the scandal and reports started to come out, though not like this. So I think he's done a good enough job as he can so far. I think going forward, as someone who's in this head coach position, I think he's emphasized that he's wanted to be a head coach at this level. He may need to kind of, I don't want to say get involved like defensive play calling, but just make sure, you know, the team in general is more prepared. So it's not just one. He's not focusing on one group, even though that's what he came here to do. Just kind of taking on more of a head coach role, maybe just, checking in more with the defense and staying in charge on the offensive end. So I think he's done a good job so far, but just 
may kind of need to keep having more responsibility and I guess treating it more like head coaching job than the offensive coordinator. But then again, I could be wrong. You know, maybe these reports come out and he goes back to being coordinator after this. So I think he's done a good job just kind of having that fine line between head coach and still his duties that he was brought here to do as coordinator. I think so far, I mean, he's done a good job. I mean, they've won two games. The team had seemed focused before this week, but I don't think he seems like someone who's not going to try to figure out what's wrong going forward. I don't see them quitting for him in any way. Do you appreciate as an observer, as a fan, Justin, that uh, he admitted that the game against Temple was basically on him? Yeah, I think I think that's something some coaches do. Like John Tillman will do that in his press conferences. But I think at some point some fans kind of forget that these are still like 18 to like 23-year-old what? I don't say kids, you but mean not a crazy like crazy LSU fan that went uh, or like the Auburn fan that went up into the LSU booth and went nuts because LSU beat Auburn on a last second field goal. What? What? Yeah, I mean, like that's what I'm saying is that you shouldn't always blame kids, especially in college, because it's not like they're they're dedicating a good portion of their lives to this, but they're not professional, so it's not their life. Like if Maryland football loses a game. That doesn't mean Kasim Hill's livelihood is damaged. So I think it's good when coaches kind of hold themselves accountable. Like you can say you didn't execute, but I think it's good when a coach, you know, says, look, it's on me. We didn't prepare. I didn't prepare because the players can do what the coach tells you to do. But if the coach doesn't come out with a good game plan, then you're, you could be kind of screwed. It didn't come out with a good game plan. I have that, like, really bad game plan. Although it was a game plan that did work somewhat against Texas and eventually worked against Bowling Green. Uh, I think, is there anything else, Thomas, that you want to say about this game? I don't think the defense was that bad, to to be frank. But eventually, I mean, once you're going three and out all the time, your defense is going to break down at some point. You know, and eventually it did. So... I, I don't want to entirely blame the defense on that. They had a pick six. They forced a lot of three and outs early, and Temple didn't look great on offense to start the game. I mean, they had their drives, but eventually, if Maryland had had any semblance of offense, I don't think that would have ended up being much of a problem defensively going forward. Would it have? I don't think so. Just to, to go back to the last point uh, real quick, um, I really liked Canada's, you know, he said on Saturday, he said on Monday, um, you know, I need to call the plays that work because with the plays that I called didn't work. And I, I just kind of enjoy that, you know. Well, I like a coach because I dealt with it in times in the past where coaches would not take the responsibility for when mm-hmm. their teams played poorly. And it got really annoying really fast. And Yeah, I mean, and even he, he's maybe, able to keep maybe, the mood a little light, but yeah, not maybe, like too light. Yeah, but maybe at times it's it's hard after a bunch of games to keep on doing that. But after one game like that, to admit it, I think it kind of it does lighten the mood, and it kind of just lessens the pressure a little bit on everybody. Yeah, like I I admire that he did it because after a game like that, you might have to have some pretty big balls to go out and admit, yeah, that was on me. Yeah, um, but but to your point about the defense, yeah, Canada said this as well. The there there's no way that the play disparity should be eighty to fifty two. That's and that insanity. that very clearly manifested itself. I mean, Temple wasn't even great on third down. 
it was just that Maryland was so bad, and Temple was able to string a few drives together. Um, you know, they scored once on the fake punt, and they scored once on a sort of defensive lapse. They had the pick six, and then two, you know, legit long drives down the field. Yeah. And so, 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 like, it's not a dominating performance. The defense played okay. Didn't really get a good pass rush going, which I think is something that has to probably be, the be able concern. to. Yeah, that's that's certainly a concern because they were able to do it against Bowling Green, and it's not you know Temple's probably going to have a bigger offensive line, but you should be able to get more pressure more consistently than you did. If you can't get it against Temple, you got no chance against anybody at the Big Ten with a decent offensive line, and Maryland's going to be playing a few teams in the Big Ten with decent offensive lines. Yeah, so I've heard. It's possible. Uh, I do want to make one comment on something that Matt Canada was saying. I think it was either earlier today recording this Tuesday night. Uh, he did say that he might become a little bit more involved in knowing what's going on with the defense. To go back to an earlier point from Justin, I don't know how much he's going to really be that involved, but I think he had been pretty hands-off, let the defensive guys do what they did for the first couple of games, and it worked. I mean, let's be honest, this game was on the offense, not the defense, but I don't think it's going to hurt Matt Canada to be a little bit more involved, say, going into a defensive meeting or two, seeing what's going on. You know, I mean, he's not going to call plays. Obviously, he's left the responsibilities to Andy Boo and all the other guys in the defensive rooms. But, again, I don't think that's a bad thing to do, especially when you're going into Big Ten play and the margins get thinner. But, I mean, like, the approach that he had for the first two games clearly worked, and it just all blew up. Largely because I think nobody in that entire building took Temple seriously. We didn't take Temple seriously. To be fair, why should we? They lost to Villanova. So, do you think that that's something that Matt Canada should do, Thomas, to be more a little bit more involved defensively or in the defensive uh, side of the ball? As I don't know. I I think it's worth a shot. Just he is, you know, serving as the head coach, and I think it's at a certain point it's almost stubborn to only focus on offense if you're serving as the head coach. It's not that the defense has been bad, but it is it is probably important for the head coach, even if it's just in, you know, kind of name interim, to, to at least know a little more about what's going on. I think it'll probably be for the best. Again, I, I admire what Matt Canna has done in the first three games. I admire that he admitted that the game was on him, and I enjoyed that he did it doesn't really absolve the fact that he coached poorly in that game and everyone coached poorly in that game but it doesn't make you deceive as much as a certain coach who coached a national team that is very close to all of our hearts who would never have done something like this if his team played poorly he'd say the players screwed up if you could guess who i'm talking about congratulations you get a gold star for the evening let's talk about minnesota thomas and in many ways, there's a good and bad to playing Minnesota right after you get blown out by a middling American team. The good thing about playing Minnesota is last year, Maryland with a backup quarterback won at TCF Bank Stadium. It's a positive, so that everybody in the room knows we can beat them. We shouldn't have too much trouble beating them. We can play the way we know we can play. And Minnesota, on balance, has not looked great against three not very good out-of-conference teams. New Mexico State, Fresno, who they almost lost to or almost went to overtime with, and Miami of Ohio. The bad news is it's not a team that they would absolutely have to have their undivided attention to, like if it was somebody better, like, say, I don't know, Michigan State or Iowa, who they play later, who they know they need to be at their best to beat. It, it kind of after a game where you clearly overlook the opponent, 
Maybe Minnesota in that way is not the best team to play because Maryland beat them last year in circumstances that they will not have this year, although they're kind of similar. So what are we thinking now, Thomas, about this Minnesota game? It's a bizarre one because in many ways it's a team that's on Maryland's level in terms of talent and in terms of potential. Uh, but when you think about it, just on paper, if you take away all that's happened, Maryland should be beating them. But after last week, I don't know whether Maryland's capable of that because they showed they could be capable of being pretty awful too. Yeah, I think this is where you kind of just look at Vegas and you're like, oh, okay, that sounds about right. Well, Maryland's, it's a three, Maryland's, I think Maryland's a three-point favorite, and of course you get three points for being at home, so it's basically a pick 'em. Yeah, which makes sense, really. I mean, I don't know if we know much about either team. Minnesota is 3-0 and but hasn't played a very strong schedule but is presumably better in year two under P.J. Fleck. Teams just generally get better uh, in their second years under coaches and P.J. Fleck has been pretty successful everywhere he's been. So, you know, you would assume that they've got some good things going. They've got uh, their, their star running back, Rodney Smith, is out for the year and they're starting quarterback is a true freshman walk-on but now he's been pretty solid about this. my favorite story about this true freshman quarterback was the backup to the quarterback who was a four-star recruit that went to Rutgers who just lost by 41 at Kansas you tell me I found that really funny and I'm sorry to pile on Rutgers but I mean at least Maryland didn't lose by 41 in Kansas in football in basketball it would have been acceptable in football it isn't so he's also, I think, there's some injury concerns with him, Thomas. I was reading something about that earlier this week. I don't know if there's a huge concern. I think he's going to play. He hasn't exactly lit it up. Yeah, so when I, was, I started to write that, and then I found out that there was really no concern. He, he got hurt on a sack, came out for a play, finished, you know, played through the third quarter, and then was taken out. The game wasn't necessarily out of hand, but it was – Minnesota's defense was really taking care of business and the game was it was it was a pretty comfortable lead so they pulled him for really the last quarter and a half and you know Flex said earlier this week that you know he'll be good to go so but he's a true freshman this is his first start on the road I mean again we're not talking about going to the horseshoe we're talking about going to two like two-fifths empty Maryland Stadium not exactly a brutal road environment but it is still a road game and it will still be difficult and it's a noon start so it's not exactly easy but Justin when you look at this game on paper paper has more talent but they had more talent than Temple and they blew it so what is the expectation now for this game because everything is now completely out of whack in terms of what we thought could happen and now what we really are perceiving this team as because all of the good vibes that were in the program for two weeks have been completely flushed away. I really don't know. Like you said, you know, last week we thought who knows what's possible for Maryland this week. You know, you think the opposite of what well, could no, be no, possible. You do think who knows what's possible, but you don't think of it in a positive way. Anymore. Yeah, is in a negative way of how is Penn State somehow going to beat us by more than 63 points, things like that. But I think the interesting thing to point out is I remember going into this game last year, you know, Maryland fans and people around the team felt the same way. And Minnesota, I think some of the metrics, I think their S&P, their defense was ranked really good. And then Maryland came in and just ran all over them. This year, again, 
I just looked. Minnesota's defense on the S&P Plus is ranked 11th coming into this game. Now, it's not great competition, but that's the thing about non-conference play is you just never you never know. I know Minnesota wasn't supposed to be that great coming into this year. Maryland was supposed to be better. It's a team if Maryland wants to at least make the next step toward being relevant in the Big Ten. They have to beat teams like Minnesota, but I honestly don't know. I don't think Maryland's going to win, but you just... If they play the way they had the first two weeks, then I would say, yeah, they'll probably win by a touchdown or so. But after last week, I mean, you can't run the ball against Temple and can't protect your quarterback against Temple. What are you going to do against teams in a conference where that is literally the bread and butter and has been the bread and butter for who knows how long? I think for me, Thomas, I mean, last year, Maryland came in 2-1 and one with a backup quarterback, went on the road after uh, Minnesota had won their first three games and ran all over them. I think getting healthy would be nice. Obviously, it would be great to see Lorenzo Harrison back. I think he's a change of pace that Maryland didn't really have in the backfield. Jake Funk's not going to play in this game. And obviously, having you know Derwin Gray and Damian Prince back would help out massively. Uh, what should Maryland try to do to run the ball better? Because you know that's what they're going to do first and foremost. This is not a team that wants to throw the ball. Neither really is Minnesota. But... If Maryland wants to win, how do you get the running game going again? Let's assume for this argument that Lorenzo Harrison plays. Well, if I knew that, I would be a coach. Well, what would you suggest, based on what you've seen for the first three games for Maryland, what would you suggest that they try to do? What worked in the first two games? What could possibly work against Minnesota? I mean, you saw the the thing that, that Canada has done well in general is is really mix up looks and mix up kind of play styles you'll see jet sweeps you'll see runs to the side you'll see runs up the middle and you know just a lot of different looks to do all of that and when Maryland was playing well everything looked a little bit different and honestly on Saturday it looked like a lot of things stayed the same and so I think that's probably what you kind of have to get back to whether it and and to, to whatever extent it's different people um, Tayon Fleet Davis, who had rushed for three touchdowns in the first two games, was basically silent. I think he had one rush for no gain. Um, Ty Johnson was pretty quiet. Anthony McFarland was the one bright spot. Having Harrison back will help. Javon Leak is still also there. So, I mean, they'll have plenty of options. I think that's just the key is to to mix up looks and just do whatever you can to keep the defense off balance. You would hope so. You would hope so. Again, on paper, Maryland probably should be able to win this game, all things considered. And, I mean, Minnesota's starting a true freshman on his first road start, and Maryland beat them last year on the road with a third-string quarterback. You think that would be a pretty good formula for Maryland to win, even if it's close. You would hope that they could still win it, but now I have legitimately no idea. So I'm not going to make a prediction on this game because I'm also going to be watching another team I've been yelling and screaming at for the last three weeks at the same time, and a certain soccer team that wears blue and white from North London that I'm very angry at right now. Uh, so I'm not going to make a pick. I'm just going to tell you, you're probably going to see angry tweets from me at about 12.30 on Saturday afternoon. Uh, Thomas, what do you think? Do you think Maryland wins? I mean, obviously they can. They've done it before, and they've proven this year that when they're at their best, they can beat good opposition. But are we going to see them at their best? I don't think we see them at their best. I have, like... At the very moment, I kind of am leaning toward they win a close one, but I have not set a prediction in stone yet. Justin, you thought 
that Maryland's going to lose. I think you said that earlier. Why do you believe that? Yeah, I think... So here's the thing. Like, my head kind of says they'll lose, but, like, my gut kind of says they'll win because college football, at least, not with, like, the top teams, but everyone else in the middle never really know how it's going to go. But I think for me, it's just you see a team that looks that bad against Temple team that was supposed to be good going into the year and didn't look in their first two games. But, you know, they weren't supposed to be like a group of five, you know, New Year six bowl bid good. They were just supposed to be a decent team, the American Athletic Conference. So it's just, I know, you know, Minnesota's going to Maryland. That's a long flight and maybe tough to get up for. But it's just something seemed kind of off saturday like we've all said and if they're off again like there's no way you can win against a team that will probably be better than temple so if that you know just feeling of off and not getting settled early in the game is still there i don't think maryland wins but you know say they come out if they start on defense you know they get you know three and out or they you know, sustain a long drive down the field to start the game. Maybe you can see a change, but until I see that they're not, you know, off, that's kind of the Maryland we have to think about going forward. How about a Joseph Petrino game-winning field goal? I don't know. I mean, we haven't seen that would, yet. Why not? It make it make up for him uh, kicking the ball out of bounds after the pick six last week. I think he's had a couple of one every game. He's kicked it out of bounds on a kickoff. You hate talking about kickers like that because this was a weekend where everybody said something mean about a kicker. But whatever the case may be, it's a 12 o'clock start on BTN in front of a probably friends and family crowd because after Maryland looked so bad against Temple at home uh, in front of a barely there crowd, don't really think there's going to be a ton of a home field advantage there for another nooner against Minnesota. Not exactly a team that Maryland fans are going to entirely get up for. But hope I'm wrong. It's a game that Maryland probably has to win if they want to keep their bowl hopes alive. I don't want to say that's entirely true because they beat Texas, so anything, I guess, is in theory possible. But they had one more margin for error in terms of a game that they could lose, and then they threw it away against Temple to get to that six. They still play Rutgers, who is bad, Illinois, who is bad, and Indiana, again, who they beat before. So it's not as if it's all hope is lost, but you'd really like to see them win to kind of get back on track and not go with all these negative feelings into the bye week. And some of those negative feelings, Thomas, I think part of the negative feeling right now is the Walters report findings are going to be released on Friday. Of course, we are not going to have a chance to podcast between that being released and the game. So we are not going to get a chance to talk about that in really full detail until next week. And we will. Uh, Thomas, what are we to really expect with this information being released? I know that some of the media asked Matt Canada about it because how could they not think about it when that is going to be going down the day before a game day? But what do we expect to see from that report? What should fans expect to see from the report's findings being released? And what should they be all preparing for on Friday? I honestly don't think I would expect too much. A lot of this uh, report in particular, you know, we've kind of had a lot of details released over time um, independently of the report from the Diamondback from the Washington Post and then from the ESPN report, the, the first one that um, Heather Dinich put out, and that was before the toxic culture one that Dinich and two others put out. Um, so, so that one was a lot of information that 
has basically been kind of corroborated in all other reports, you know, in the media. And based on what Wallace Lowe said at his press conference last month, it seems like the stuff that's in this report is going to be very damning to Maryland's medical staff and basically say there was a lot of improper procedures and whatever else um, going on there. So, like, I don't expect it to be too new to most of us who've been following this the whole time. I think there might be some, you know, small things here and there, some some sort of gaps filled. But I wouldn't expect too much that isn't already kind of floating out there. Do you think we could expect firing coming from Friday's release? Or if there's anything else, I know that we've seen some reporting that Jordan McNair's family intends to sue uh, the school. I think that that probably ends up being filed once this report is released on Friday. Is there anything to these two comments you'd like to make? or I think... I would say those probably happen soon. I don't think they happen immediately. Like this is a Friday afternoon. <laughs> um, but but those are all things I would expect. I don't expect uh, Wes Robinson or Steve Nordwall to still be around this time next week. Uh, I believe you said something about the toxic football culture reports perhaps being released next week. Maybe? I heard something like that. I've very loosely heard end of month. And but, it makes sense that they would release it while Maryland's on a bye. It would be kind of fitting timing, I think, yes? Maybe. I don't know. I think that, like, you kind of want to news dump stuff during other things, but it, I don't know. I, I really don't have any intel on that one. Seems like some stuff, though, is going on behind the scenes. I don't know anything personally, but it does seem like things are starting to move behind the scenes and we could be closer to having some decisions made. But, of course... We will have to wait to see on that. And, of course, stay tuned to Test Studio Times for all of the news you can be looking for from the Walters Report release on Friday. Everybody's going to be covering that, and you'll get great coverage here. And you should be coming here first and foremost, of course, for all your coverage on these issues. Uh, we'll go to non-revenue sports now. Justin, we have you here. Let's talk about them. We already talked about field hockey. Uh, we'll get to the soccer-related things. Uh, normally for soccer, it's been goal-scoring issues. I've seen that in person with the women. The guys have also had trouble scoring goals, and to win in soccer, you need to score, especially when you can't have a draw over 90 minutes. Uh, what's been going on in the world of soccer in recent times for Maryland? So, a bit of an interesting story. Friday against Northwestern for the men's team, they go down 1-0, you know. Typical, I guess, for this year, you know. Been dominating the run of play, but can't score, and then a freshman, William James Hervé, who's from France, scores a goal late in the second half and then the game-winning goal not a great goal at all he scores it again in the first overtime period goes through the goalie's legs but the interesting part of that story is his mom had flown 4,000 miles was in a I think business trip or business meeting in Chicago had flown 4,000 miles from France for that and saw her son play for the first time in college and he scores two goals the game winner so that's an interesting story there. I mean, women's soccer somehow scored four goals against Iowa. I don't think I've ever seen that team score that many goals, but could not sustain against Nebraska, who I look today has the top RPI in the Big Ten, so not surprising there. But it wasn't an overtime? And, yeah, it was an overtime loss, but I think Maryland got outshot 17-5, to 5, so when you give up that many shots, you know, 
unless even if you know Tim Howard's your goalie, you're going to break eventually. Uh, that's not good. And Maryland's had problems generating a lot of chances, but four goals against Iowa is at least a positive development because for a while they had no luck scoring goals. The guys really didn't either. So it's good to see those things kind of getting sorted out. Uh, I get, I mean, two one's not a great way to lose either, but they've lost a lot of games in extra soccer. So if, if college soccer had proper rules and not this nonsensical overtime crap that they have, and I could tell you that, Sasha Sorosky doesn't really like it that too much either, uh, then Maryland would probably be in better shape in terms of points. Maybe the women would, maybe not necessarily the guys. Is there anything else, Thomas, that we need to talk about before we go back to chicken and waffles, but probably off the air? I think the last one is uh, volleyball. Win. You are right. volleyball, volleyball beat Temple. Volleyball oh, beat good. Temple. Somebody can beat Temple. Somebody sport. beat Thank Temple God. at a sport. Yay. They won at Temple. Well, Maryland so, will get their chance to win at the link next year. Yep. In football. And so volleyball starts Big Ten play this week. Uh, they start against Rutgers at home. That's a match you should win. There are not a ton of matches in the Big Ten that Maryland will be expected to win. But they've got some good opportunities in their first few. So if they can get off on a, you know, get off to a good start, it could be a sign of some better things to come. What's their record right now? They are, I believe, nine and three, and all three losses have been in five sets. They're zero and three in five sets. It's okay. Um, They've been kind of. I think they've been favored, or maybe been the best RPI team in every match that they've played. Maryland this year didn't play the the, quite the same strength of non-conference schedule as they have in the past. So, like, theoretically, Maryland could have won every game. That would have been probably a surprise had they won all of them. But I think 9-3 is around par for them. Okay. So, and we already mentioned field hockey off the top of the show. I don't know how many times we're going to be mentioning field hockey off the top of the show, but if you remember at the start of the the new fall season, I kept forgetting to mention field hockey, and so that's why we kind of do it off the top of the show now. I actually thought to do that, so this was not somebody telling me you should do that. I just felt like field hockey deserves a mention because they're also really good and you should be paying attention if you like Maryland teams that win a lot and they win a lot and they could win another national title. So let's hope and cross our fingers for that. So hopefully there's much better news for Maryland football on Saturday. After last Saturday, I don't know how much worse it could get, but then again, I don't really want to say that because it could and always get worse with Maryland football. Uh, hopefully it's not nearly as bad when we record this podcast this time next week. Until then, no terms.